Hello, and welcome to Mr. America, The Bearded Truth, covering political and social issues one liberty at a time, with entertaining insights of current events and important discussions on topics that affect us all, shining the torch of liberty and brightening the future by bringing libertarianism into our everyday life. And now, your host, the friendly neighborhood libertarian, Jason Lyon, Mr. America, The Bearded Truth, on Muddied Waters Media. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. It is Friday, and you know what Friday means? It means you got another episode of Mr. America, the Beard of Truth. I'm so glad that you guys are here. Of course, this is a Muddy Waters Media production, which means that you can find this and every other episode on MuddyWatersMedia.com, where I hope you guys will head over to and check that out. We've got a banger for you guys today. Imagine this. Imagine this. In a world... In Florida, where Marco Rubio is your current senator, you could have somebody that's so much better. Well, I am honored and privileged to be bringing him on today. And of course, of course, Dennis Misigoy. This is going to be an incredible conversation. I'm so excited for this. Dennis is an incredible speaker on on the libertarian issues he's got the well-roundedness to understand the circumstances from both sides to be able to to convince the hearts or to change the hearts and minds of so many americans not just there in florida but around the country so i'm excited for today's conversation but before we get there you guys know i've got to do some house cleaning so oh no i just cleaned out my my page on accident Big thank yous, of course, to Matt and Spike for continuing to give me a platform to come out here to talk about my views, my opinions, my stances on everything and, and anything out there to be the neighborhood-friendly libertarian as the intro goes. Thank you to Brian Scott Lambrick and Jenny for that intro that we use on every episode here. And of course, if you guys are watching this on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Float, wherever, however you're watching this live, thank you guys so much. Thank you for interacting in the comment section, for liking each other's comments, for hitting the share button, sharing it out to your friends and, and family members, spreading the message of liberty with one share button at a time. Thank you guys so much for that. If you guys are listening to this later on the podcast, where you can find it on any podcast app, Thank you guys so much for that. And of course, if you guys are looking to lean in to getting the third exclusive episode of Muddy Waters Media or Muddy Waters of Freedom with Matt and Spike, you guys can head over to anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters slash subscribe. And from there, you'll get the third episode. You'll be getting Muddied Murica, myself and Matt Wright sitting down to parse through the incredible current events. Of course, these are always daunting and, and uh, just just heartbreaking events. We went over the Uvalde shooting uh, two weeks ago, so that one's up. If you guys missed it, go ahead on over there. Check that out. If you guys are looking to rep Muddy Waters Media everywhere you go, head over to muddywatersmedia.com slash store where you can get the beautiful merch that we have. Whoo! Got through that, but there's still more. But wait, there's more. Are you guys looking to see more of me and Matt and or me and Spike, we'll head on over to rebrand.ly slash CJR. This is going to be a training summit on criminal justice reform, on getting out, being activated. This is going to be in Columbus, Ohio, August 20th to 21st. That's a Saturday and Sunday. We're going to be training, networking, learning. It's a free event for all ages. They give you food, so don't worry about that. Get on over there. Check this event out. Head over to rebrand.ly slash CJR Spike Cohen will be there. We will have a wide berth of coalitions in order to work on multitude of issues within the criminal justice reform. We're going to be talking about medical cannabis. We're going to be talking about uh, recreational cannabis. We're going to be talking about uh, cash bail reform. We're going to be talking about, I'm going to be talking a little bit about civil asset forfeiture because that's near and dear to my heart, of course. We're going to be talking about so many different things so that even if it's not necessarily applicable to AFP Ohio, who is holding this event, it will you will be able to take things home to your home state if you're not from Ohio, or if you're there in Ohio, you'll be able to, to pair up with people there to move liberty forward through criminal justice reform. So make sure you guys are getting over there. November 8th. It's a short time coming away, but we have an incredible event down in uh, Brevard, Florida. On November 8th, election night, you could be joining myself, Spike Cohen, 
Jordan Marlowe, and plenty of others, including Shelly the Brazilian Porcupine, for an incredible night down at the zoo. What are you going to get beyond just seeing all of us? You're going to be linked up with some people that are truly making Liberty Rise in their county. Brevard, Florida, put them on your map, put them on your radar, check them out. They're doing incredible things. If you're looking to attend, right there, lpbrevard.org slash gala. If you're looking to spread your online business, your podcast, whatever it is, however it is, head on down there, lpbrevard.org slash gala hyphen sponsors you will also see in attendance there because of the star-studded event that we have we you will see super fans sarah and Wright. Ooh, did i just misspeak no of course not they're getting married and you guys will be one of the first couple people to see sarah and Wright, along with matt Wright. muddy waters media team will be there not a real libertarian podcast team will be there it's going to be an incredible event make sure you guys are getting down there and checking it out while we're talking about amazing events, while we're talking about talking to a future U.S. senator from Florida, um, while we're in campaign season because it is 2022, if you guys have a business, you guys are a candidate, you guys are holding events, head on over to KelseyLionDesigns.com. She will revolutionize your branding. She will take your marketing to the next level. She will make sure that she's squeezing every bit out of of ingenuity and and creativity out of her brain and putting it up for your business she has raving reviews she couldn't do no wrong for the market that you're trying to reach into so head on over to kelseylinedesigns.com use the code muddy waters she'll hook you up with a nice little discount i guarantee you won't regret it and last but not least Nug of knowledge. Everyone's looking for a little knowledge. Everyone's looking for a little nug. Everyone's looking for a little love. So head on over to nugofknowledge.com. Use the code Bearded Truth. You're going to get 10% off. They're going to ship you some fun love. And it's going to be coming in the package of a nug of knowledge. So head on over to nugofknowledge.com. Use the code Bearded Truth. And you can get yours today. And with that, I am, if you guys could, please. Put your hands together. Welcome on, Mr. Dennis Misigoy. How are you doing today, sir? Thank you very much. Thank you. That's a for the for the kind intro. I'm doing well. Uh, as I mentioned to you before, it's been a uh, it's been a you know I guess a little bit more stressful last couple uh, last couple weeks just kind of leading up to to qualification. But having having hit that big milestone, that takes a little bit of a weight off my shoulder. It just means now that I have to now really continue planning and 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 do a little bit more of this, uh, put in a little bit more of the work here. So, uh, but that's what we signed up for. So, um, so that's what I'm here for, man. So thank you, uh, again for, for bringing me on. Thank you for coming on. And, and, you know, this is on the, the, the end, uh, on the other side of, as you were saying, of making it onto the ballot officially of having to fight through all of the ballot access issues that all the third party candidates have to face because we're not part of that, that uniparty, that duopoly. Um, you seem, you look so well rested and refreshed and ready to go because (laughs) (laughs) fighting the good fight to get on the ballot. Yeah. (laughs) Fighting the good fight to get on the ballot is just a 10th of the battle. And now we're going to unseat Marco Rubio. And, and I would, if I was a betting man, I would not bet against you. I'm so incredibly excited for this race, for what you guys are doing. Um, Thank so it's it's going to be a beautiful time. I'm so excited for this. Um, I do, for anyone watching, if you guys check the comments section below, or not the comment section, in the, the, the description below, you have his link. This is somebody who, he is going to be going out and campaigning. He's going to be doing events. But one of the big things is distribution. And distribution of signs, of bumper stickers, of things like that, you guys can help out. And there it is right there. Mr. Goy. Dot com head on over there give them some love give them some donations spread the word if you got friends and family in the, in the area let him be the messenger of liberty and just give him the site and say hey check him out see where he's wrong they won't yeah. they can't and, and uh and, and to give the um to to do what spike said um what, uh, when i was uh doing a little event uh talking with spike what he kind of suggested is i i just tell everybody you know give until right before it hurts you know um we need whatever we can get and it's something that uh, goes back to a, like the one little brief conversation I had 
Uh, the first time I met Justin Amash when he came to speak at Florida's state convention last year, um, which was just, you know, kind of what do we have to learn from the big parties? You know, what is it that we really need to, to pick up? And he said, really, they're not any better or any less dysfunctional. They just have more resources. And so that that's really the, um, you know, the big the big stumbling block for us is being able to have the resources to do all these sort of things to reach people. Obviously, I don't think we're going to match them. And I don't think we need to, because I think we have the better message. You know, their, their strategy is to just flood people with these things and overwhelm them with it. For us, it's just opening their eyes. Something we were talking about in terms of what gets us motivated and what gets us engaged. I don't want to say excited about politics, but engaged in politics is the fact that we have come to understand certain things about the reality and the the challenges that we that we face as a nation today. Um, you know, and we'll get into some of those those specific things. But once you come to an awareness of it, you kind of really just have to sit there and be, well, I'm going to either have to do something about it. I have to take some kind of action. I mean, I, I just have to. I, there's not even really an or for me. It's just you got you got to do something. Yeah. Um, you can't sit still. So. It's it's one of those things, and and we were talking about a little in the pre-show of, you know, people look at us and they say, you guys must really love <laughs> politics. You guys have to love this stuff because we pour every bit of our love, sweat, tears, blood, everything into making a change for our future. And and coming off of looking at your issues on on your website, um, you know, it's it's a difference of. We see these things and they've been so egregiously wrong that it compels us to do something. It compels us to go beat our head up against a brick wall for a couple days straight and then go, I'm feeling fine. Let's go do it again the next day. Um, It's a brutally painful process and it's through the connections of our communities that's helped us keep us going and it's through efforts like yours to getting on the ballot, to fighting against the, the monster that is just ballot access. Now you're on the ballot, now you're you're going to have trillions of voters. I think inflation's affecting this. Trillions of voters <laughs> there in Florida um, in order to... to... affect all the mail-in ballots. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, but you're going to have so many, so many more supporters and people waking up to the ideas that, you know, the Republican Party and the Democrat Party are just trying to give you emotional responses to a lot of things. And they're not actually educating the people on why it is what they've done is wrong. But rather, they double down and they keep making it worse. And and so, if you guys haven't already, head on over there, check out his website after the show. Don't don't leave during. Go check it out after <laughs> the show. Um, but it's well worth the read. But so today, um, kind of the conversation in the in the way that you know I thought it would be very beneficial for us is that when we talk about these specific topics, oftentimes because they are so much different than what we're what we're receiving from the republicans and the democrats where it's like build 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 like you got to build back better onto these bills in order to make them better but we actually talk about the ideas of what's in them and because it's so there's such a contrast between what the 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 average person has seen and what we as libertarians understand and put forth that is difficult for people to 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 accept but by you getting on the on the ballot, by you being out there and being uh, such a, a great activist and advocate for liberty, you've been through these conversations, and you've got a lot of things where you've pointed them out directly. And and so, um, you know, right now, one thing that I used to do every episode was we were talking, we would talk about Yemen, and we would talk about the updates of what's been going on in Yemen. You've got some news for us to some borderline breaking news. If I was if I was a newscaster. On what's going well, on? In I mean, Go ahead. I mean, I'm I'm certainly not the first person to uh, to to bring this stuff out. Um, but you know, two of the things that have been going on, uh, two two sort of things, kind of interestingly, kind of going on in parallel. Which is, on the one hand, you have as a seemingly positive sign, you got a you got a war powers resolution um, uh, coming out of the House to withdraw U.S. support again from Saudi Arabia's you know war of genocide on Yemen, and, and actually. If I if I just take a quick step back um, to kind of when you were describing talking about you know it's not that we like politics it's just that I hate certain of these things which are going on so I hate these wars that are you know killing droves of innocent people um, you know and for a cherry on top also bankrupting the country um, but you know it, it it really is the suffering and and just 
unmitigated disaster and the the harm and the horrors that are being done to so many people it is really should be what morally outrages us about um much of the foreign interventions um and there's more to it than that even but uh but so that is one thing i mean we did have i think a resolution like that i'm trying to think it was 2018 or 2019 and trump vetoed it um biden came into office actually promising that he was going to withdraw u.s support and he was going to you know, treat Saudi Arabia like as a pariah, or that he was going to, um, you know, in general, hold nations accountable for human rights violations. And he's done, obviously, not that. No, uh, we're almost two <laughs> years. Uh, we're a year and a half into his into his term. And uh, that has not occurred, obviously. And um, so, but we have this resolution, there's some concern about the, the, um, what's the word, the effectiveness or the, the likely effectiveness if it were to pass. Um, there was an interesting conversation actually I saw between, uh, this was on Twitter, but this was a conversation between Justin Amash and Scott Horton of antiwar.com and talking about sort of these word games that they play in there. So where they have, uh, they qualify not doing anything offensive um, as this sort of background. So where there's a real possibility that even if they did manage to pass this resolution and the president were to sign it, they could still be continuing to do this stuff. Um, and, and it may just still be business as usual. They may just spend a little more money on manufacturing intel that will justify, because at the end, after all these people get killed, who's going who's gonna to argue the, the, um, the contradictory position that this was an offense rather than defense? And really even how are we going to draw those lines? We just need to get out of there. We just need to be not involved. And it's- there shouldn't be any equivocation or, or any... any um, any uh there's just no excuse put it that way and uh like i said sort of in parallel at the same time we actually have biden sending in troops into yemen and you know and and my understanding i didn't quite see it in the articles that i had read but i i had heard it mentioned offhand by by someone else that this was being justified based on the and maybe this was in the letter he sent to congress um, justified based on the authorization for the use of military force that was signed after that was uh, passed after 9/11. Okay. Obviously, to go after the guys who did 9/11, who none of them are in Yemen, uh, has nothing to do with what's going on there. Um, matter of fact, uh, what was it? Uh, 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudi citizens or something, I think. Yeah. Uh, but here we are. We are helping the Saudis out um, again, and so. Um, it was incredible when you when you look at that circumstance and, and when you were talking about the Justin Amash and Scott Horton conversation, really what that boils down to is, you know, what is an offensive measure? And and the way that I've seen it broken down the most was go ahead and pick up your AR-15 or whatever quote-unquote weapon of war you want. Go sit in your neighbor's house and then be like, I'm defending myself when they when they try to kick you out of your property. It's not... <laughs> there's no way to perceive that as an offensive uh, measure or uh, not as an offensive measure when we're literally halfway around the country in, in these circumstances. And and so it's, it's incredibly important that with the way that some of this is being addressed and, and some of these things are, we're trying to change the perception on it. And, and I've seen the memes where it's like, you have somebody that looks like they're about to be stabbed, but then you look at the bigger picture and you're like, wait a minute, the, the guy trying to, trying to be stabbed is actually is the one invoking a lot of the, the problems and everything else. So I think looking at the circumstance as a whole, we see where Saudi Arabia, right, when President Trump, I think it was 2018, uh, when he vetoed it, this was a bipartisan resolution passed in the House and the Senate. He vetoed it and said, Saudi Arabia is selling us, to, or we're selling too many arms to Saudi Arabia for this to, to not be beneficial. It was it was an arms deal. We are literally supporting a, an attempted genocide. 600,000 children have been killed in Yemen Um humanitarian aid being blockaded um just just the most egregious circumstance ever and i i really is also like one of these um you know just again this sort of worst and and you go back to really where it started again was uh obama trying to placate the saudis because we it inadvertently helped out the uh the iranians by getting rid of saddam and and basically creating what ended up being a very Iran-friendly Iraq. So um, it, none of this makes any sense. It has nothing to do with America's uh, any sort of, um, and, and I don't even like using the term, but, you know, this sort of myth of our national interest is, as a justification for any of this sort of stuff is absolutely bonkers. Um, and 
yeah, and, and I, I thought it was sort of instructive. And so one of these things where was one of these things that I like to point to when uh, whenever I get into it, certainly with some Republicans who are like, hey, Trump isn't like these guys. And, you know, he was speaking out against this and that or, or he, you know, pushed to get us out of Afghanistan or whatever. Um, what are the, this is one of those things that's very instructive for me. It says, like, look, the Congress and this is pretty rare for having the Congress to come together and vote to withdraw the U.S. support from a military conflict, proxy war, or us just directly involved in a war, that's pretty rare enough. And he vetoed that. And, and he didn't veto a whole lot of things. So you no. think this is, this is the kind of thing that gets him out of bed to go use that veto pen was this, not, um, you know, not the omnibus spending bill that nobody in the House read. Uh, it wasn't any of that stuff. It was no. we got to make sure we keep uh, doing business with the Saudis and helping them you know, kill um, all these people there. And, and, you know, we try to run numbers and, and throw out numbers and I hear a lot of estimates, but I was listening to um, actually listen to, I think it's the last episode Scott Horton had on with um, uh, I can't remember the, the, the lady's name, uh, but she's a uh, works with an organization that, that do, tries to do aid in Yemen. And, you know, people are dying in their homes and nobody's able to come and do this stuff. The, the situation there is so bad. It's really, it's going to be hard to really have an accurate count of the death toll. And that should yes. be enough to, you know, give people sort of a realization of just how bad it is. I think it's, it's universally, I think, considered the worst man-made, you know, human catastrophe, human rights violation, everything uh, going on today. And we're supporting it and we're still yes. supporting it. And the president is adding support for it at this point even though he campaigned or i don't know if to say he campaigned because i don't know how much of an issue that is to move the needle but he did make a promise about it he did say here's what we're going to do and obviously became president and that's not what he's doing it's nothing new for these guys no but it's it's again just it's another glaring example and it's something that um you know we need to uh, hold these guys to the fire and, and i will say this one other thing um because here's where the rubber meets the road. So I'm, I'm glad when people and activists and you have a grassroots effort that's able to put pressure and get, uh, you know, the R's and D's in Washington, D.C. to write a resolution like this and maybe even get it passed. So that's good. But, you know, these guys are still there. And, OK, maybe this passes, but they work around it because of the languages they're playing, the word games. Or maybe maybe he follows in Trump's footsteps and he vetoes it, too. I don't know. But you know what else is going to happen? And, and I just heard the estimate, which I don't know if I can say that it blows my mind because it's just more of the same. But um, what they were working out of the Senate, uh, I think it's uh, I forget exactly the committee, but they, they're working on the NDAA for the next year. Uh, a proposal around eight hundred and fifty some odd billion. OK, it was it was over three quarters of a trillion for this year. And they're looking at more than four fifths of a trillion for next year. And these guys are all going to rubber stamp it. Marco Rubio yep. rubber stamps it. Val Demings rubber stamps it. Um, so, and that's that's what this establishment keeps doing. So even if they vote to do this sort of thing, um, to whether it's toothless or not, this resolution to withdraw U.S. support from the from uh, from this conflict, they're certainly not going to hold the um, the defense establishment the foreign policy establishment the military industrial complex they're not going to hold them accountable and they're not going to um they're not going to restrain them by restraining them uh the, really the one thing they have control on they have to give them the resources if they don't give it to them they don't have it but they will always do it those guys will always do it and that is one thing that um is, is a sharp contrast is that i am not going to keep voting for that stuff uh the u.s the U.S. defense budget, military budget, whatever you want to call it, um, that should be cut in half, okay? Yeah. We could cut it in half, and we'd still be, by more than $100 billion, the biggest spender in the world on this stuff. It is, uh, it's embarrassment, it's disgusting, and, um, and it's a misallocation of resources, to be perfectly honest, as well. Yeah. Um, but even if you want to be the biggest, baddest in the world, you could cut it in half, literally in half, and you would still be far and away the biggest and baddest in the world. So there's no excuse for it. Um, and you got to hold these guys. You got to do something to restrain these guys. You got to do something. And okay, this resolution, I I hope it passes, and I hope it really stops it. 
Um, truly, truly, for the people who are really deeply affected here, the victims in Yemen, um, and probably I would imagine in some of the neighboring areas as well, where, but regardless, um, you know, that's really what it's about. But at the same time, um, the question is how willing are these guys, will, are they to stand up to this establishment in a meaningful way? The resolution, you know, it'll be good if it passes, but let's see. We got to yep. wait and see, I hope, but uh, we got to wait and see. Yeah, I think it, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how this plays out. Historically speaking, right, you had uh, Obama who came in. He was the anti-war candidate. He came in, <laughs> didn't stop anything. He actually brought us into a lot more wars. President Trump was brought the anti- this one. Yeah. President Trump, Yemen. Yep, exactly. 2015, he brought us in. And, and so then you had President Trump come in, and President Trump was the anti-war candidate. Pulled us out of no wars, vetoed uh, pulling out of Yemen. And then you had uh, Joe Biden being like, no, 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 I'm the anti-war candidate. Let me just fumble hey, the I'll do you one better. Go ahead. I'll do you one better. George W. Bush, when he campaigned in 2000, was a humble foreign policy, no nation building, uh, none of this stuff. This was in sort of reaction to Clinton getting involved in, uh, uh, you know, in the Balkans and all that. Uh, you know, what was sort of perceived as him trying to create distractions from other things. But this whole sort of, uh, we shouldn't be getting involved in that sort of thing. Uh, even Bush even even uh even uh w ran on this and yep. obviously um and you, and and someone can make the excuse and say well then 9-11 happened and, and you can kind of make that excuse but the reality is is that um and, and this is came out a long time ago i believe it was like their first cabinet meeting they were talking about how can we get in a war with iraq i mean that that was from the from the get-go that was on the agenda and uh if you haven't had the opportunity it's not something i heard um when uh when reading the uh enough already uh i keep referencing scott horton just because he's he's great on this stuff but you know bush yeah um bush before he became uh, before he ran for president maybe a couple years before in some interview kind of talking and musing about this thing that you know to be like a great president you have to be a wartime president and and also talking about how, you know, it was a failure of his father to like not go after Saddam and get rid of him. Um, but it's this sort of stuff that when you look at it, look back on it in context. Now, it really kind of gives you an idea and an understanding that this was kind of, you know, his vision for how he wanted to create a legacy. Um, and he was just looking for the way because we all know that Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. Yeah. Um, 9-11 happened and it was great for his approval rating. It wasn't great for the rest of us. Um you know, it was great for the Defense Department because uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the video, the, um, uh, what was it, September 10th of 2001 yep. with Donald Rumsfeld coming out and announcing that, oh, you know, we've got like $2 trillion that we have no idea where it went. Um, getting up and then and, nobody and cares. find that clip in a lot of places. And, yeah. And, well, everybody forgot about it the next day. And it's understandable. Um, yeah. But, you know, and, and this is something, and I'm going to kind of transition to another topic which is the topic of uh, gun control after like the Uvalde shooting and the other mass shootings is that, um, (laughs) you know, with what happened after nine 11 um, and what does not happen, or let me say what happened after that. And what happens after events like this is that everybody's responding emotionally to, to like a trauma, to a, to this big event. And it's these knee jerk reactions in terms of, and very simple, uh, simple, not very well thought out kind of responses. Um, in reality, what the politicians want to do is, uh, typically, and it's, what is the cliche? They say it, they say it openly, never let a good crisis go to waste. So they're always trying to weaponize these things to, um, pass or, or do the stuff that they wanted to do from the beginning. Anyway, stuff that they, stuff that wasn't, it's not like a really a reaction to these things. They're just using these things to try to do stuff that they wanted to do anyway. Um, but you know, the, the comparison I try to make with the recent shootings and, and what I would make also with uh, how we reacted after 9-11 was, you know, when do you make your best decisions? Do, I mean, in your personal life, do you ever think that uh, when I'm emotional and I've just been through something terrible, that's when I'm going to make really good decisions? No, no, you have to calm down. You have to think rationally. That's how you make good decisions yes. in your, your everyday life, in your work life. Uh, and, and it's no different. And political decisions are no different. Um, policy decisions are no different. So making policy decisions out of a knee jerk because you're, um, you know, I, I, oh my gosh, this, this great tragedy happened. 
um, it's the wrong way to approach it. And it reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever read this, but it was like a, a short article that was written by uh, Harry Brown, who was libertarian candidate in uh, 2096. This was, uh, he wrote this in September, on September 12th, 2001. So immediately after, and it's mm -hmm. titled, When Will We Learn? Um, and, and it basically just goes, you know, and, and it is what is missing at that time mm -hmm. is to be, you know, I don't want to say dispassionate. I mean, it, it's still passionate because we're still, we recognize the tragedy, the loss of life. Um, but you have to be honest with yourselves. You can't just um, get into this tunnel vision. You have to realize how did we get here? How did this happen? And what are the contributing factors? And be thoughtful in this. Um, too often we're not, you know, and, and the debates become so dishonest. You care more about, you know, gun rights than dead children. No, no, it, it's, it's that the, the abridgment of gun rights has created this epidemic where, um, and again, you, we can get into debates about how widespread the issue is or, or what the magnitude of the issue. Yeah. But that this issue occurs has a lot to do with the fact that we create essentially these soft targets um, via the gun-free zones and everything else that create an opportunity, an invitation for a maniac who wants to collect a whole bunch of bodies on the way out, um, wants to make a splash. Uh, they're, they're not going, yeah, I always make the joke that they're not going to, uh, they're not going to, you're never going to see a mass shooter go to a gun range um, yeah. to go try to take people out. Uh, to they're not point. looking to, you know, they may want, they may be good with dying, but they don't want to like fire off two stray bullets and then die from return fire. Okay. Yeah. They want to, they want to rack up a body count before they go. And, um, and where's the best place to do that? It's where their people are defenseless. We shouldn't be making people defenseless. We should allow people the means to defend themselves yeah uh, not force it upon them but the people who are willing people who are um willing to take on that responsibility allow them to do it yeah absolutely there's two two big points on that one is that you know in the last two years 86 percent of mass shootings happen in those gun-free zones the areas where people are are stripped of their rights for a mere geolocation of where they are um, and the second thing was to to highlight the fact that they will target these things and and maybe I'll, I'll I'll just say it, the dishonesty of the media and the way that they portray these situations. The pole shooter in Florida down down that way, he went to multiple bars that night to find yes. which one was an unarmed one. They they portrayed it as an so, attack on the so LGBT community, but last, it wasn't that. Last Saturday, last Saturday was six years since the pole shooting. Um, and I actually posted an article uh, talking specifically about this because it was um, it came out during the trial of his wife um, because they were they were trying to go after his wife as if she was an accomplice. The reality was she was more of like a basically a domestic abuse survivor. Um, she was a victim of this guy as well by by at least all the evidence that came out. I think that's why she was acquitted, at least in part, um, and, and really didn't have anything to do with this. But. Uh, but yeah, no, that, that was one of the things that came out. He looked at a couple other targets prior to that and then backed off because there was, he perceived that there was going to be too much armed resistance, the armed security or police or whatever were there. And he said, um, and, and this, I, I can't remember exactly where I read this. So, so take it with a grain of salt if you want. But, you know, he was just looking up, just looking up nightclub. Uh, I know that much, at least yes. in terms of like his search. So he didn't even know. Of, and I recall hearing, and like I said, I don't know where, so take it with a grain of salt. But I remember hearing anecdotally, at least, that he went there and he did, even once he arrived there, he didn't realize it was a gay club. He went and asked the bartender, hey, where are all the women? Yeah, he was um, actually, so yeah. that quote of where are the women was at other bars. When he went to them, they were they were armed and he goes, he asked them, where's the women at? And then they were like, Pulse. And so for anyone who hasn't been out to a, a gay nightclub, there are... <laughs> There are men and women abound. There are a lot of straight women who just love hanging out with gay guys. It's an incredible way. Back in my bachelor days, I may have frequented a couple of gay bars because the ladies there. It's a it's a weird perception, but it happens. Everybody Whatever knew takes, I guess. to go that way. Yeah, exactly. And plus, you know, if you if you're a good looking uh, young sailor guy like I was, you know, the guys are willing to buy you drinks too. It's a special feeling, but just don't go home with them. Um, but 
but he went there and and just as you said he was like i gotta find a soft target where's the women at he goes to goes to the pulse club didn't know it was a gay club but the media ran with it in that way and so you know it's important that as as we push liberty that we have those communications of here's the actual truth behind it and it, it it's they put us behind the eight ball because we have to fight against the narrative that they've put out there and also encourage, educate and invigorate people to go. You have to go somewhere else for this information. You have to go to Muddy Waters Media because they're going to wait the 24 hours to get as much information before they even speak on a topic to make sure that they're getting things right rather than being first. Um, yeah. But so we no. went on, we, we started down the road of red flag laws and I really wanted to harp on this a little bit. Because you have this this narrative being pushed out by the media and by Marco Rubio, by my senator Lindsey Graham and everything else, that somehow these red flag laws are going to be better. So, you know, if I was a, a, a potential voter for you, red flag laws are a good thing. How 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 are you going to compete? How do you how um, you challenge that? You know, I think you need to separate the you know, sort of the idealized narrative. And this, this is true of a lot of, you know, great proposals for laws is how's it going to actually be used? What do you actually think? How do you, if you're going to set realistic expectations for yourself. Now, remember what happened uh, in this particular case in Uvalde, which was, you know, essentially the police, I mean, I, I, I've said a few times, basically we're protecting the shooter yes. by keeping everybody outside, um, ensuring that nobody came in to offer resistance. And for what, an hour, 90 minutes, something along those, long, minutes. Along those lines? Um, you know, so, it, so I, I think one of the things we need to get out of our head is sort of the pro that institutionally, I, I don't want to disparage universally police officers. I, I think there are people who, who have genuine intentions who get involved in law enforcement and, um, you know, and, and may go different paths, but institutionally, I don't think it, it has a priority of, um, intervening in these kind of situations to prevent the loss of life. Um, and so, uh, and certainly we see in other instances or, or interactions where the loss of life is uh, obviously driven by, uh, you know, police policy, you know, when you've got a SWAT team kicking down a door in the middle of the night to serve a search warrant, um, you know, a search warrant, you know, For marijuana? It's, not, it's not like, a, you know, it's not like on TV, you know, you see on TV, the detective, they knock on the door, the person, oh, I'm not gonna let you in. No, I've got a warrant, you're gonna let us in. And then maybe you've got the other guys as backup if you have, if you meet resistance, but you're just going to kick the door down for a search warrant. I mean, I could understand if you got like, oh, it's a hostage situation. You think somebody's, you know, something really terrible is happening inside, but a search warrant, um, it, it, it all seems very um, uh, misguided. Yes. Uh, and so with, with that as the context, who do you think um, these kind of laws are going to be applied to? And, and, and remember um, even if it sounds perfectly reasonable, think of who's been uh, getting labeled as domestic terrorists within the last year. You know, parents going and arguing at um, at school board meetings, whether it's about masks or about classroom content or whatever. Um, that's who's been getting labeled as as extremists and terrorists and and all this sort of business. So you got to really. I mean, the question is, who do you trust? Okay, who do you trust to make the decision about who's going to be able to have firearms uh, because whose hands are you putting it in? Um, when you're talking about the law, you're talking about the government, you're talking about them taking control over um, this part of your life. And in particular, your rights this is a constitutional right, but even beyond the constitution, the right to self-defense is, is a basic human right. And in order to be able to execute that in order to be able to exercise that you need to be able to have the means for self-defense. And obviously in modern times that, can uh, very much involve firearms. And so, you know, the idea that we're going to trust the government to, um, to, to, uh, what's to the word discern I'm that for? without to, to, due to basically process. make this discernment to not abuse this power. And, and, and this is another, you know, again, somewhat tangential, I guess, but I mean, a general sort of critique of government in, in general and, and can be applicable to the police. And part of what I think one of the things it, it's a little more complicated without going into too much the rabbit hole, but mm -hmm. power attracts people who want to have it and people who want to abuse it. Okay. This is a lot of power to say, who's not going to have the right to self-defense. There's other downstream uh, effects when you start considering, okay, here, here's a scenario for you. How about 
um, military veteran who, again, comes back. He's trained and he, he's, he understands proper use of firearms and, and he values his Second Amendment right, but he's also dealing with PTSD. He, he you know, naturally, and we know this is a massive epidemic. We know about the suicide rates that are off the charts. Um, it, it's another part going back to the foreign policy, part of just the outright tragedy of it and why it should be such a moral outrage for, for every American, um, that we are a party to it. And, uh, and you think about that guy and ask yourself now, is this going to make him more or less likely to seek out, um, mental health, you know, services yeah. to, to seek out help, or is this going to disincentivize him from doing that? Because now, you know, he's worried if he says the wrong thing or like, you understand what I'm doing. You start to create these weird um, bad incentives and uh it it creates a problematic situation it's, it's it's just one thing on top of the other again it's another big government solution to a government created problem that is either going to create more problems exacerbate some of the same problems uh without even really dealing with the original problem because you know again odds are it, they if they had the information on these guys they could have been watching. They could have, um, you know, they could have stepped in at various points. Hell, in those 77 minutes, they could have stepped in if that yep. was the priority. And they could have stopped it a lot sooner. But that's not what they did. And, you know, I, I think also back to, obviously, here in Florida, uh, one of the ones that got red flag laws. So moving ahead here in Florida, um, and obviously, I think Rubio has been pushing him nationally since, uh, since this time was the, the shooting at a uh, Stoneman Douglas, a uh, Marjorie yep. Stoneman Douglas, high Parkland, um, you know, but that, and, and people look at that as a, as a, as a failure of laws in terms of restrictions and everything. No, it's a failure of government agents, law enforcement. There was, I think people had, uh, had given tips to everybody from the, sh- from the County Sheriff to the FBI, that yep. this guy was a loose cannon, that he was dangerous and nobody did anything. And, um, and and at what point, you know, do we say maybe the answer isn't to just further empower government to go and seek out other people, but instead the answer is for each one of us to not be a soft target. I'll give you another another way yeah. to frame it. I, and this is way too long an explanation. No, uh, so I, I've, uh, it's no, good no, information. No, but I mean, it is, I mean it in the sense, in the political sense that, look, if somebody asked me that question like you just did, this answer is way too long. Yeah. So I'm going to try to... Um, kind of bring this back of who, who do you trust for this? When I hear, uh, one of the things I heard, and I think this was more in response to the Buffalo shooting was basically like, you know, we know that these guys go and seek out soft targets. We know that that's a factor with them. We, we, we've got enough data at this point to understand that, but you know, the people who think from the central planning perspective, which is a Republicans and Democrats, well, how do you harden, you know, you can't put police and armed guards in every single building in the world. Uh, or in the country, whatever. You can't do that. So how do you do it? Well, you don't centralize it. You don't make a top-down decision. We're going to protect this. We're going to protect that. And we're going to spend more money here to do this. The answer is decentralize down to the individual level. Yes. And you, again, you restore and respect and uphold the individual right to defend themselves. And you stop creating soft targets. The soft targets exist because we create them. Um, some might exist anyway. Look, and that's to be fair. Some might exist. I, I, we can't promise utopia. Um, but I think the, you know, as uh, the Thomas Sowell quote always is, there's no solutions, only trade-offs. I love uh, what's the best trade-off we can get? Uh, I think the best trade-off that saves the most lives, uh, saves the most innocent lives, protects the most kids, is the one where we don't create, um, we don't create these soft targets by demanding that anybody who is competent and is willing to and, and would carry a firearm cannot do so uh, because we ensure that here's this building full of people and all these kids cordon off in these separate rooms, you know, like, uh, you know, the ducks in a barrel yeah, for, uh, for a guy to just come in and just blow them all away. And we're going to make sure that he's got plenty of time. So it doesn't even matter how much the magazine capacity, who cares? Yeah. This guy had more than an hour. He had plenty of time to reload as he goes from classroom to classroom. And you he know, did. This guy was not, um, yeah. So who cares if it's, uh, if it's 30 round magazine, 10 round magazine, uh, 100 round, who cares? He, he's got all the time in the world because, you know, they're stopping him. So let the people 
have the means to defend themselves. That's, um, I think that's the right answer. Absolutely. And, and a couple things that you pointed out, and I wanted to speak to one of them particularly, was the, the mental health aspect, right? This is a big thing with the red flag laws. If somebody's mentally unstable, we'll, we'll catch them through this process and, and they'll get taken care of. Um, you know, when I was in the submarine force, I had, I, I, I suffer from PTSD. And so I, you know, sitting in port one day and, and kind of went through some issues and I went to, went to military doctor and i was like hey you know here's the issues i'm facing they prescribed me a drug that drug took me away from service from submarines took me out of the nuclear community if i known that was that would have been the the circumstance or the consequence of just being out of that form of military service there would have been a, a weighing of the scales for me to make that decisions and now you're going to say if somebody has ptsd somebody has you know anger issues uh as subjective as that for another person to view that this person's really angry well he was working on his car and he lost this 14th 10 millimeter socket like could you could you fault him for it so he kicked the, the pail as soon as he gets addressed as angry uh as an angry person now the law enforcement's coming in no due process for him because all of the secret court has been going on basically where somebody makes a report, please say, Hey, here's, here you go. Judge judge signs off of it, rubber stamps. They show up to the, at the house and they come to, to take your guns. There's no due process as of, uh, defined in the constitution for these people. You're pushing people away from getting mental health when they need it. And in the case of Gary Willis, um, who was from Maryland when red flag laws were first passed in Maryland, he was a 63 year old cops show up at five o'clock in the morning and knock on his door and say, give us your guns. He says, no, Gary Willis is left dead that day. It's a, it's a, it's a heartbreaking circumstance where, you know, as you pointed out, these aren't addressing the circumstances as to why they're standing on the bodies of these people to proclaim this is the solution. They just want to politicize it and push their agenda while standing on the bodies of others. And, and so I think this is incredibly important that we talk about why they're standing on the bodies to push their agenda, how these agendas are not actually going to address the issues as you've shown, but also the the negative impacts and, and the growth of government, how much more catastrophic that becomes rather than understanding that this was like when we talked about the foreign war before, it was too much government involvement intervention in these areas that have made these circumstances worse, that causes a blowback, that causes more pain, more hurt, and everything else. More government is not the problem of there is not the solution to the problem of too much government. Um, so yeah, uh, and I, I went through all that and didn't even get to the due process aspect of it. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, it, it, this is the thing, and and people have got to understand it, and and um, you know to take it another route. I mean, I, I was here, I. I shouldn't say always, but, you know, here occasionally, you know, the statistic, oh, there's more guns in America than there are people, okay? All these gun owners aren't, you know, crazy mass murderers. The overwhelming majority of these people, the overwhelming majority of gun owners are, you know, respectful, law-abiding people, even if somewhere, like we talk about, you know, are dealing with some mental health issues. Um, but who are, and, and and who can blame, certainly someone who, who who's coming out of difficult experience in the military, who can blame them for having a negative uh, view of government leadership? But hey, that that might be somebody dangerous. You got to watch out. You can't let him have it. You know, that's who's going to get targeted. Um, it's not going to be you know this random and in this particular case, this random kid who hadn't committed a crime before. So he, of course, he passes a background check and everything else. So he goes forward. He gets and and even then, that's a sort of a sketchy situation where in terms of how did this kid afford these guns? Um, that's a whole nother angle yeah. of the conspiracy theory we don't really even need to go down that route but it is interesting to ask uh and another interesting thing uh if you haven't seen it this is totally off tangent from any of the other things we talk about because it's really uh january 6 is really not that interesting but if you think january 6 is that interesting i would uh you know really encourage everyone to watch there's this little clip it's only like two minutes or so but it's ted cruz who i don't really have a great opinion of but whatever this is good work you know, was questioning uh, somebody from the FBI, somebody from the FBI was testifying there. And basically every question is like, I, I can't answer that, uh, which is all like, hey, were FBI agents involved in this thing? Hey, were FBI agents committing violent crimes on January 6th? Hey, was this guy a fed? Hey, was this? And there's no answers. There's no clarity. And, and it's worthwhile to go just go and see that to kind of get a little bit of perspective. Um, but this is, you know, that's federal law enforcement. This is 
Um, this is the reality of, you know, the reality of government, which is not, not the TV show reality of it. Unfortunately, you know, the re TV show reality is again, a detective knocks on the door. Hey, can I, uh, Hey, can you show us around? We have a warrant to search this place or no, it's, it's, uh, it's a SWAT team. Like you said, 5 AM in the morning. Uh, sometimes it's even at more interesting times than that. Uh, give us your stuff. Uh, we're coming in or, or nothing. Or if it's a no-knock warrant, which is a whole nother, which is not a whole nother, but another aspect to it. Um, you know, what, what are we doing? Or I should just say, look, it, it's got to inform our realization about the nature of government and the nature of power and what it does and why it is so important to limit and dismantle it and not create, not stop creating the conditions, stop and then start rolling back all of the conditions that are being created where someone who hasn't committed a crime, and let me be more specific about that, someone who has not um, violated the rights of another individual, who has not violated the basic rights of another individual, that we're not sending police to go after those people to violate their rights, due process, property, self-defense. We, we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be, never should be initiating any of those kind of interactions with people who have not done that. And that spans a wide gamut of stuff. Um, but that's the reality also is that liberty is not, you know, one little thing. It's not just gun rights. It's not, um, you know, uh, you know, the right to decide what you consume and put in your body. You know, it's, it's, it's all of those things. Yeah. And when you understand the principles, it all comes back together and you recognize, and then you recognize how far off the path we are um, to kind of, again, bring it around, you know, it, it is, uh, and the tremendous harm being done because of it. That's one of the things I've come to realize is that, Every time we have policies that deviate from these principles, it's tremendous amount of harm is done, and you don't even really solve the problems that you ever set out to do. Um, and we just do more and more of it and double down on this approach to solving problems, and we never solve the problems, and we create new problems. And and all the while, we keep spending more and more and end up being poor, and we're $30 trillion in debt now, and it is a big mess, and... Um, and we didn't even get to 8% inflation uh, yet. So go figure, you know, the, the, the issue that's uh, affecting the most people, you know, doesn't affect people in the way that's the most drastic of like people getting killed, innocent people getting killed, but it is something that is affecting basically everybody. Um, yes. I know the celebrities say just, Hey, get an electric car and you don't have to worry about the price of gas. But um, the reality for real people in regular life is that, you're feeling it, man. You drive by and you see the gas station and it's, and it's around five bucks and it's, it's painful. Um, and so, uh, but, and again, it didn't happen in a bubble. It, no. it's a consequence of all of this stuff. Um, and the stuff that we've insisted on doing, uh, obviously it went into overdrive over the last couple of years, um, with everything that went on with COVID and the lockdowns and disruption of economic activity. But, um, you know, there's a better way. And, uh, yes. um, and, and, and that might take a little more time than we have to talk about, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, absolutely. It, it, it's, it's, I'll wrap it. I'll, I'll bring it back around and say that that's why I'm, you know, in the middle of doing this is because of the recognition of that. And so, uh, why it's so important, I think, to have a libertarian, um, in this, in this position to be a part of the conversation, in what I anticipate will be one of the more high-profile races uh, in the country, uh, this Senate race, Marco Rubio obviously being a, a former presidential candidate, uh, Val Demings uh, is a sitting congresswoman but was pretty big in the Biden Veep stakes back in 2020. Um, so, so both figures who have a bit of a national profile, and you know, and who are also, like I said, quite similarly awful in terms of. Uh, supporting infringements upon due process and gun and the Second Amendment, and consistently supporting the military-industrial complex and rubber-stamping every NDAA, um, every amount of spending, uh, forty billion for Ukraine, um, so that make sure that they can, you know, by the by, you know, by the end of the summer that they'll have more than the that will have given them more than the entire Russian military budget. I guess um, it, it's madness. But um, but that's what we got. And and I think Florida deserves better than that. Absolutely. And and that's it. we have to put we have to get a libertarian on the on that debate stage because 
you need to have an adult amongst the kids and and you know <laughs> they can spout off on how they want to violate your rights and and as you put it you know we're here for your rights all the time we want to make sure that people who aren't doing harm to others aren't being harmed themselves and and so you know it's incredible that you're doing this it's a, it's such a tremendous opportunity so if you guys are listening to this you guys are watching this right now head on over to misagoy.com that's m i s i g o y donate share it spread the word spread the message help be a part if you if you're in the if you're in the state of florida or near that reach out get a part of the campaign go canvas make phone calls door knock do whatever it is you can help him out let's get marco rubio unseated let's get some some real good policy there um we're going to continue on with these conversations of course in the future of what you can do in order to help spread liberty of effective ways of talking about the issues talk about what it is that needs to happen why these issues are happening talk about a little bit of the history and talk about how other people's proposals aren't actually addressing it right the best of intentions with bad plan still leads you down to hell so we gotta we gotta fight that fight um but dennis man i appreciate you so much for hopping on here today i want to give you a couple minutes if you want to wrap things up go ahead plug anything everything future events websites all of that Uh uh-oh events uh actually next tuesday in orlando uh lp of orange county i've got the event on my website uh probably posted on the social medias as well uh i will um i'll be speaking there at 6 p.m uh next uh next tuesday night uh don't have too many other things planned out uh past that just yet uh like i said we're kind of uh we we were kind of overwhelmed with the whole um uh, qualification over the last couple of weeks. So, uh, we're wrapping that up and, uh, I'm trying to think what, what else really to say? Um, you know, I think everybody here has, uh, you know, we've kind of talked a lot about the principles and I think all the great harm that's being done and that that's what motivates me. And if it motivates you as well, uh, like you said, um, you know, please come out, visit the site. Uh, if you can contribute, contribute what you can. Um, uh, Unfortunately, it's not easy for us to get the message out, so we try to reach as many people as we can, uh, but we need everybody's help to be able to do that. So um, all the help you guys can give uh, makes all the difference in the world, and I will. Uh, I think I'll leave it there. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, guys, help him out. He's going to be stretching your dimes into dollars and making this a, an incredible event. And so with that, guys, I want to thank you guys all for being a part of today's episode. It was incredible. I... I love Dennis and the way that he's able to portray that stuff out. And he hits on a lot of those important notes, right? As libertarians, we often talk about the foreign wars and talk about the history and how we are, we may have been a big piece of, of how nine 11 happened. We are a big piece in the harm and, and the, the wrongdoing there in Yemen. Um, and even Ukraine, there's a little bit of us intervention there. So you know, it's great to be able to talk about those things in a foreign policy sense, but also being able to talk about those things in a domestic sense and being able to, you know, push out that message to help change hearts and minds. So incredibly appreciative of Dennis for him to be able to come step out here and, and join us. And I look forward to seeing his campaign continue to be successful in everything that they're doing. And I'm sure we'll we'll try to wrap him back in to, to come join us um, during the campaign to, to give us updates and, and to continue on with these conversations. But I want to thank you guys all so much for being here today um hopefully hopefully you guys have been enjoying the new segments of muddy waters of freedom with matt wright and spike cohen where they've broken this up into three episodes the first two episodes are public facing everywhere you normally get your muddy waters content but the third one is by the exclusive group so make sure you guys are heading over to anchor.fm slash muddied waters slash subscribe to get a part of that um tonight if you guys haven't gotten enough of me i'm going to be heading on over i will be on uh, T.C. Pearson's uh, podcast. So the Black Robe Regiment will be going on there. He's an incredible guy. He's got a really cool history. Uh, he was a former law enforcement agent, and he was one of the good guys, i.e. he was reporting on issues within the department. He was not willing to just turn a blind eye when things were going wrong, and it actually costed him his career. His career. So it's going to be an incredible conversation. Um, I'm going to be posting those in Muddy Waters Facebook groups and everywhere else. I'll be on my personal Facebook page, so make sure you guys tune into that tonight. That will be at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, um, and I'm excited for that conversation. 
Um, we'll continue following up with Dennis on on his uh, his campaign and his successes and continue to build on those. If you guys haven't already signed up for the Americans for Prosperity event in August, get your get get set up and uh, get your time off if you need it to be out there. And election night, LP Brevard, Florida. Get down there and come hang out with me and Spike and, and a bunch of other amazing people, Matt and Sarah and Bootleg Libertarian. There'll be a lot. It'll be a star-studded event. But with that, guys, I hope you guys have a great day. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. You guys, I hope you guys stay well, stay safe, keep fighting the good fight. Love you all. Talk to you guys soon.